0: Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Just kind of hold your fist up and just be in agreement with us. And we say this every Sunday. Let's say it nice and loud to the Lord. Ready? Read. This is my Bible. It is God's Word written to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I receive it as truth for my life today and open my heart to hear God speak a word and fill me with the Holy Spirit so that my life will be changed forever. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We can lead with confidence in Him even if we lack confidence in ourselves. Every follower of Jesus is meant to become a leader for Jesus. That was the phrase that was thematic last Sunday, if you were here. And I believe that the Lord is going to have us continue to carry that with us through this mini series that we're on. Because the goal of Jesus for every follower is for him to develop our lives and then deploy us to become leaders for him, the building of his church, and the kingdom of God. We started a new series last week and we're simply calling it Born to Lead. Come on, would you say that with me, church? Come on, Born to Lead. Here's my subtitle. Going from a follower of Jesus to a leader for Jesus. Now, if I tripped anybody up on that word leader, let me just bring you some ease of mind. A leader for Jesus is simply a person That's learning to leverage their life and influence for Jesus and for God's kingdom. Our theme verse could be Ephesians 2.10. This is what it says. For we, talking about the family of God, are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Kind of like that scripture I was reading this morning. Before we were even born, before we even took shape in our mother's womb, God knew you would choose him, and he would choose you back, and he had a plan and a purpose and, and things to do as a follower and a leader for Jesus in his kingdom. And I just want to highlight workmanship. Where is workmanship? workmanship? Being a leader doesn't mean you got it all together. Being a leader doesn't mean you're perfect. Actually, it means you're still under construction. You're his workmanship. You're his masterpiece. He's the artisan, and you're his work of art, and he's still working on our lives. Notice it says, created in Christ Jesus. That word created isn't only referring to your natural creation and birth It's talking about your rebirth. It's talking about when you were born again into the kingdom of God and the family of God. He caused your spirit to be born again and now you stand righteous and holy as a new creation before Christ Jesus. And part of the reason he's done all of this is so that we can walk out these good things, these good works that he has for us. This is an important statement. Jesus didn't just save you from something. He saved you for something. Now, if you want to catch the full message last week, you can go to our podcast. It will be up this week, or you can visit my Facebook page. I put a 30-minute a talk on my Facebook page to catch up anybody who may not have been here with us. Today, if you're taking notes, the title of our message today is simply this, Stepping up my leadership. Would you say it with me, church? Stepping up my leadership. You know what the term means to step it up, right? To increase, to elevate it, to bring it up, to improve, to strengthen it. We may think of ourselves as leaders in other areas of lives. But when it comes to Christ or church settings, we can find all sorts of reasons to avoid stepping up. The disciples weren't elite leaders. In fact, by the world's standards, they didn't have what it took. Yet God used them, 12 non-spectacular people, to change the world. Why? Jesus could have called the elite the highly desirable. He didn't. Leaders in his kingdom don't have to be the most talented or special people in this world. We all have people in our lives who follow our example, our kids, our grandkids, our friends, our coworkers. We all have areas of influence, which means we all have opportunities to lead people to Jesus and to lead people to grow in their relationship with Jesus. It's time that we, as Christ followers, stepped up. It's time we stepped out on faith and started living out what we claim we believe. It's time we served the people around us. It's time we started leading. See, leadership isn't necessarily easy and it's especially difficult when we lack confidence. But our confidence, our faith, our hope, our life isn't in us It's in who Jesus is and what he has done. We can lead with confidence in him, even if we lack confidence in ourselves. Amen, church? I want to look at Matthew chapter 20. If you have a Bible, turn over to Matthew chapter 20. And we looked at this briefly last week. And I just felt impressed by the Lord to go back to it and just pull a little bit more out of it instead of rush off to a different text pertaining to leadership. Matthew chapter 20, and I want to read verses 20 through 28. Now let me just set this up a little bit. Jesus had just had an encounter with a rich young ruler. How many of you ever heard the story about the encounter that Jesus had with the rich young ruler? He comes to Jesus. He asks Jesus what he could do to inherit eternal life. And uh, Jesus tells him, well, you know the commandments, do this one, do that one, do this one. He said, Jesus, I've done all those already. He was a very humble guy. And Jesus said, okay, well, do this one, do that one. He said, I got this down already, Jesus. And then Jesus tells him, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell all of your possessions. Give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. And then take up your cross and follow me. And the Bible tells us that he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. You guys remember that story? And then Jesus began to explain to his disciples how hard it was for anybody who trusts in riches or trusts in anything else to enter the kingdom of heaven and become a follower and a leader for Jesus. And then Jesus kind of educates them a little bit. And these guys were known for arguing over stuff like this in regards to what it would be like to be great and a great leader in the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells them, listen, when I set up my eternal throne, you 12 guys are going to sit with me and we're going to rule and reign together for all eternity. The disciples got excited when they heard that. And the Bible tells us that one of the disciples' mother got excited when she heard that too. And that's where I want to pick up in Matthew 20, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons. Her sons were James and John. Kneeling down and asking something from Jesus. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, notice, they said to him, James and John, Mom asked the question. James and John were with mom listening to everything Jesus said. Jesus turned and said, are you able to go through what I'm about to go through? Now, this cup and this baptism is a reference to the suffering and the death that Jesus was going to be immersed in. And they said... We're able to go through it with you, Jesus. Well, if you know a little bit about the history, James was the first disciple who was martyred for his faith. And you'll read about that in the book of Acts. And uh, tradition goes on to say that John was also persecuted. He was exiled to an island. And most people believe that he was also martyred and crucified. So they absolutely drank from the same cup and were baptized in fire and persecution and suffering like Jesus. Verse 23, So Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized, baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit at my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. Verse 24, And when the ten other disciples heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called all of them to himself and said this, You know that the rulers or leaders of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. So the non-Jewish people, the Romans, they were very authoritative, very haughty in their rulership and in their leadership. Verse 26, listen to what Jesus says. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many." This is a powerful text in the scripture about servant leadership as a follower of Jesus Christ, about leadership in the kingdom of God. How many of you believe that leadership in the world outside of a relationship with Jesus is different and looks different in most cases than leadership in the kingdom of God and leadership according to Jesus? Do you agree with that? Now there's some Truths or some keys in here that the Lord showed me, and they may not be obvious at first, but if we look at them a little closer, we're going to be able to pull some things out of this text that I believe will help you and I step up our leadership. Here's the first fill in the blank if you have a sermon guide Jesus is saying, See yourself as a leader. Come on, say that with me, church. See yourself as a leader. Notice Matthew 20, 26 in the front portion. He said this to his disciples, yet it shall not be so among you. And they were talking about leadership. They were talking about authority. They were talking about ruling. And Jesus was making an example out of those outside of the family of God on how not to lead. And then he makes it clear. Don't lead that way, guys. Let it not be this way among you. In other words, as leaders, for me, it's supposed to be different. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe that most Christians, and probably them at this point too, don't see themselves as leaders. Most Christians probably, and a lot of times, look at the people who work at the church as leaders, look at the pastors as leaders, look at the lead ministers or the leaders per se in the different ministry departments in a church setting as leaders, but most Christians don't identify with the fact that Jesus sees them as leaders. Now, don't, let, don't raise your hand and, and, and don't say it out loud, but where do you fall in that? Do you see yourself as a leader? See, if you're gonna step up your servant leadership for the Lord and experience the blessing of leading and experience the impactfulness that God wants you to experience, you'll have to begin to ask God to help you see yourself As a leader, Genesis 127, way back at the beginning, it says this, God created man in his own image, say own image, you carry the image of God, you carry the moral, the spiritual, the intellectual attributes of God. God. As a human being, God created you to lead, to be an extension of his leadership in the earth. And we know that got interrupted by the fall through Adam and Eve's sin. But when Jesus came back and he gave his life on the cross through his death, his burial, and his resurrection for you and for me, he reinstated the leadership that you lost. And you might not see yourself as a leader, but God sees you as a leader. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen in the Message version says this: If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Let me just pause. See, if you can't see yourself as a leader, you won't be as effective as a leader that God's called you and gifted you and is raising you up to be because you won't identify as a leader. Does that make sense? It says if you can't see it, you're going to stumble all over yourselves. You won't, you won't live the way God has intended you to live. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. The people who catch vision from God, the people who begin to, with God's help, see themselves as leaders, with God revealing to them that they're leaders, these people begin to function little by little, step by step, as a leader. And when you do that, it says you'll be most blessed. You'll be satisfied. You'll be impacted, and you'll be impactful. So here's the first point. If you're going to step up your leadership for God, be confident. God sees you as a leader. Begin to see yourself as a leader. If somebody's with me, say amen. amen. Number two, second key to stepping up my leadership This is so applicable to everyone in the family. Make more room for God. Come on, say it with me, church. Make more room for God. Notice verse 26, the back half, and verse 27. Listen to what Jesus says. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must first be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Now, truth be told, most of us aren't excited about signing up to be a servant or a slave. Come on, that's the truth. But there's something to be caught here. And Jesus is educating them on something that they were familiar with. See, Roman rulers that were surrounding Jesus and his disciples especially demanded their right to be served and respected by those under their command. And they flaunted their superior status. Jesus now says this won't work for his disciples as leaders. Power struggles in the kingdom of God are not the kingdom of God way. And what's fascinating though, is that Jesus doesn't tell his disciples to give up on the ambition to be great leaders. Instead, Jesus tells them how to step up their leadership. He gives practical advice on how to excel as leaders. Jesus says, you must become a servant. Now, of course, this would have sounded like nonsense to first century ears. Why? Because servants were, by definition, the opposite of great. In this culture, humility was not a virtue. It was the result of weakness. And the Greek word for servant usually refers to a hired worker. So the disciples knew what Jesus was saying. Especially a hired worker, listen, who helped maintain another person's household. So servants received commands from greater men. They didn't give them. And servants might be nice people, but they were nobodies in their culture. In fact, in the ancient world, it was assumed that rulers and royalty were literally better people than servants and subjects. And that's why each was born into that status. See, what God is showing me here is when someone willingly becomes a servant leader for Christ that person is demonstrating, not just saying, but demonstrating, I am making more room for God in me and through me. See, God moves in and through people through acts of service, through acts of love, through acts of kindness. Now listen, most of you have heard of the Ten Commandments. Do you know the first one? Exodus 23. Exodus 23. Chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Before me. me." Now, I'm not looking at anybody. I'm going to look down when I say this. That includes the God of self. Remember I mentioned the rich young ruler? Most commentaries... And most scholars and most teachers focus on the fact that he loved his money so much he wasn't able or willing to become a servant leader with Jesus. Jesus was inviting him to become a servant leader and to change the world. And he refused. And most people say it's because of all that money. The love of money is the root of all evil. But I think there's more to it. It wasn't just that he was attached to material gain and money. By the way, let me make it real clear God isn't opposed to you having money, He's opposed to money having you. And there's a big difference. Amen, church. Nothing wrong with money, but there's a lot wrong when money has me. I think there was more to him than that, though. He was full of pride. And his first God wasn't the God that he said he obeyed. His first God was himself. He wasn't humble enough. He wasn't willing to set himself and what he wanted aside, make room for God and follow Jesus. Now, in a church culture like ours, especially here in the Western United States, It's easy for people that are Christians to say, I've made room for God. I mean, I'm here, aren't I? You are. And I'm so grateful you're here. And God is glad that you're here. So I don't want you to hear any condemnation whatsoever. But you and I have to really personalize this. And if we want to step up our leadership, you have to get with God and you have to ask him, is there an area in my life that you're asking me to make more room for you so that you can work in me and through me. Now, hear my heart, church. I'm your pastor, and I love you. At first, I was going to say, put God first. (laughs) That's strong. And we understand the truth in that. But I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, no, no, no. Plenty of grace. Grace. Just like you need it, Robert, they need it too. So he changed the verbiage from put God first to make more room for God. This is progressive. This doesn't happen in a day. This is lifelong. I didn't decide to give up our business and leave our family and our friends 15 years ago and move To a foreign land in the Carolinas where my wife was just praying for a mall in a week. I didn't come to that decision in a week. I mean, we've been walking with the Lord for probably 12 to 15 years already. And progressively, little by little, making room for God. Making room for God. Every one of you can make more room for God. Take, for example, our worship team. Very personal. My wife is making more room for God. Can I just be honest? My wife is not an early riser. She's not a morning person. I mean, she can do it. But 5? Five, 5.30? Get here at 8.30? Come on, that's kind of early church on Sunday morning. Just be honest, it's kind of early. Same goes for Billy. Not so easy to crack the sheets and get here at 8 30. right? He shares with me you know at a 40 year old young man, his body's not like it was when he was 20. little harder, right but but what are they doing they 're making more room for God to. To flow through them and in them so that we can experience blessing that goes for all of our volunteers, all of our team members, all of our leaders. They're making more room for God. So just ask yourself do you ever find yourself responding to God when He says, make more room for me with these kind of responses? I'm too busy, it's too early, I have other commitments. Listen, I have to build my house, my family, my business. I don't really see what's in it for me. See, what keeps you from making more room for God will ultimately limit you and your effectiveness as a leader for God. Amen. See, I love my pastor. Come on, say it right? Don't feel any condemnation. I'm speaking to myself as well. God wants us to make more room. If we'll do that, we're stepping up our leadership. Key number three to stepping up your leadership. Here's your fill in the blank. Develop an eternal viewpoint. Come on, say it with me. Develop an eternal viewpoint. Here's another, you know, gracious word from the Lord. Develop develop. He's not telling you your viewpoint needs to be eternal, completely eternal, and only eternal by the time you leave today. No, develop. It's a process. It, It takes time. There's stages. There are things we can do to renew our minds with the word and the spirit and the kingdom of God, and that helps us to develop an eternal viewpoint. A viewpoint meaning how you see the world and how you see your life. This is an important one because if we're not careful, our culture is, is, is pulling at us and shaping us and molding us to develop a temporary, limited, earthly, natural, here and now, my 80-year viewpoint. And that's it. But all throughout the scriptures, we see that God's people had to develop An eternal viewpoint. They weren't just living for today. They were living for today with purpose, but with eternity in their heart. And if we're going to step up our leadership, if we're going to impact our communities, if you're going to impact your family, if you're going to impact your coworkers for Jesus, amen, we have to develop an eternal viewpoint. Jesus had one. Aren't you glad Jesus had one? Look at Matthew 20, 28. Look at what he says. We're in the same story. He just talked to them about servant leadership. Talked to them about being a servant, allowing God to move through you, not vying for position. And then he uses himself as an example. He says, just as the son of man, that's a reference to him, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. That word ransom, you might know what it is, but I just want to clarify it. And then in a moment, I'm going to show you a video that will really tie it in, okay? The word ransom in the Greek is lutron, L-U-T-R-O-N, And it comes from the verb luo, L-U-O. Luo means to loose or to set free. So ransom is a release from slavery or captivity brought about by the payment of a price. Jesus is our ultimate example of a man that lived with an eternal viewpoint. That's why he gave himself as a ransom for your life and for my life. He didn't live with the limited, temporary, earthly viewpoint. He didn't just pay the ransom. He was the ransom. Anybody ever hear of that movie starring Mel Gibson called Ransom? I want us to watch a short preview of that movie so that I can tie it into this word. Let's go ahead and watch it real quick.
1: I came from fairly humble beginnings from upstate New York. I'd never even been on an airplane before. In 1971, I threw everything I owned into a charter service. In a world where great risks can bring extraordinary rewards. We've grown to 37 countries worldwide most important thing to me these days family mine yours tom Mullen has succeeded he's so shy next month he's doing the underwear billboard in times square Ow! beyond his wildest dreams i have your son give me two million dollars or you'll never see him again sean your only priority is getting your boy back the some sign that he's alive Is he indoors? Is he outdoors? What is that? How many kidnappings have you worked before? Ten Got back seven What went wrong? If I were betting man, I would bet on the people who pay Did you bet on the ones where you got back a corpse? <laughs> oh. They had him right where they wanted Yeah. He hung up You don't know where he is, you don't know FBI is. You're the FBI and you don't know Get him. Him. Until he did is our son dead? Don't ever think that. What they never expected. Been on your TV, channel 5, keep watching. Tom, you're on. The whole world now knows my son was kidnapped. Sean, if you're watching, we love you. This is what waits for the man who took him. This is your ransom. This is as close as you'll ever get to it. Instead, I'm offering this money as a reward on your head.
0: Take it back. No.
1: Tell him that you were wrong don't want him back you think i wouldn't do absolutely everything to get him back sean i want to listen Mel gibson i don't get my son back i'm gonna dedicate my life to tracking you down we have an eye on him a white male armed with a handgun renee russo who got shot gary Sinise. delroy lindo everybody hold your fire you still have a chance to do the right thing don't Thank God be with you because nobody else on this earth will be. I want to talk You kill him. You kill yourself. Hello! Ah!
0: Give me back my son. Direct. When I saw this clip, I thought about these words that he said. If I don't get my son back, I'm gonna dedicate my life to tracking you down. Think about the words of a father who will do anything and everything in his power to get back the child that was taken from him. Now think about your heavenly father who would do anything in his power to get back the children across the world that were taken from him. And the only possible way that that could ever happen was for him to offer his only begotten son that he loved as a ransom to get his kids back that he lost. If you're a dad or a mom, you would do the same thing. You would do everything in your power to get back your child if you lost them. And I just want to remind us that God wants us to step up our leadership and God wants us to develop this eternal viewpoint because your life as a leader is an investment into eternity and it's a kind of ransom that's willingly offered and willingly paid so that you and I can partner with Jesus and get the kids back that God lost to the enemy. Amen? So whenever you and I are faced with whether or not I should serve or whether or not I should lead, the Holy Spirit wants to encourage us to begin to see that person, to see that ministry opportunity, to see that thing He's inviting you to step into as a type of ransom of your life as He empowers you to invest in a person, to invest in yourself, and to invest in eternity. You have to develop an eternal viewpoint. Okay, so Pastor Robert, if I, if I want to step up my leadership, I need to begin to see myself as a leader. I'm going to ask God to help me to do that. I, I need to make more room for God. I'm going I'm to ask God to help me to do that. And I'm going to begin to develop an eternal viewpoint. Now what? Hey, here's some really, really good news. And I don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but I want to mention it. Here's your fourth fill in the blank. Expect rewards from God. Come on, would you say it with me, church? Expect rewards from God. Notice Hebrews 6.10. 6.10. I don't know if I got that one up there, but I'm going to read 6.10 and then we'll put 11.6 up, Okay. Here is, oh, it is there. I'm sorry. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Let me remind us, the word minister means serve. It means to be an example. It means to lead for Jesus. Notice what it says. God is not unjust to forget your work. He's not unjust to forget your sacrifice. He's not unjust to forget you cutting the sheets early and getting here. Or doing something for someone because you're showing an act of kindness or the love of God. Notice this. He takes it very personal. In which you have shown toward his name. Whenever you serve as a leader for the kingdom of God, God takes it personal as if you're doing it for him. Remember what Jesus said? Inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these, my brethren. What did he say? You have done it unto me. Amen. There's so many scriptures that talk about rewards. He who comes to God must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen. Have you been blessed by the Lord? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.